call Pastor Shade along. <laughs> I cannot go alone with you. At least when they see that we are many, maybe it will enhance. Uh-huh. You know, so maybe they will call a few of the other leaders along. They will form a small delegation to come and beg. And then when you get there, you just immediately you prostrate. You don't even say anything. So it's Pastor Paul that will now start packaging you for mercy. (laughs) You know, that's that's the way that's the way many of us. We, 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 we don't see that. God didn't need all that before he gave Jesus. You see, for many of us, all that prostrating coming with a delegation, we are using it to show that person that, ah, whatever it was I did, I'm really sorry. I've changed. I won't do that again. God did not ask us, hmm, If I give my son, you know, God gave Jesus knowing that many people will reject the offer. Can you imagine that level of sacrifice? You know, the Bible says, for scarcely for a good man, but God died for bad people. So that's the level to which he is ready to give. So, it's very important for us to be balanced in this, um, in this appraisal of the two sides of our relationship. Because when we are too much to an extreme on either one, then there will be problems. When we think of ourselves too much as sons, our inclination to serve will be very low. We'll be just like spoiled children. And when we think of ourselves too much as servants, we will not even enjoy our relationship with God because we'll always be trying to do something to earn whatever it is we want to get from him. I'll say one last thing about this issue of balance, and then we'll go on. You know, assuming, let's assume I was a math teacher, and then I start, maybe October comes, Students resume for school, and then I'm a math teacher. I'm giving an SS1 class to teach. And then what, what's a topic that they learn in SS1 in mathematics? Set theory. Hmm. I think simultaneous equations is JS3. Yeah, set theory is a good one. So I walk into that class, and I say, well, my name is Jide Lawal. I'm here to teach you set theory. And then I spend the rest of that week teaching them set theory. You know, by the end of the week, some would have grasped it. Some will still be struggling with it. Those that are struggling with it will say, ah, mathematics is hard. Those that have understood it will say, ah, it's simple now. You get what I'm saying? Then the next week, I go back there. I teach them again, set theory. The third week, set theory. After a month, even the very dull students in that class would have understood it. Do we get what I'm saying? And then everybody, even those that were saying mathematics is very hard, now they're all smiling. Ah, I understand it. Now, suppose I were to continue all the way to December, set theory. Then I teach set theory for one year, two years, three years. They go for their 
O-level math. What will happen? No, see, what I'm saying is, at the end of three years, they would have understood set theory very well. What will their results be like? I don't understand that one. You see, what I'm trying to get at is this. Many Christians, let me even say many churches, their their understanding of Christianity is warped. Not because they believe wrong doctrine, but because there is too much emphasis on just one thing, over and over and over again. So some people, you know, these are students that we are talking about. It will come to a time when you say mathematics. They will hear the word mathematics, but what they are really hearing is set theory. When you say mathematics is easy, mathematics is hard, what they are hearing is set theory is easy, set theory is hard. For many Christians, When you talk about Christianity, what they are really hearing is holiness. Because that is all that they talk about in their church. For some Christians, when you say Christianity, all they are hearing is walking in love. Do we get my point? And we're not saying that all these things are bad. We're saying that when you focus on them to the exclusion of everything else that Christianity is about, you may not come up with believers who are mature and are ready to face life. Because life doesn't ask you, what are they teaching in your church before bringing, before bringing the wahala your way? You know, church, life does not ask you that. Are they teaching very well about marriage in your church before you will be faced with marital challenges? Life will not ask you, what is your pastor teaching about receiving healing and working in health before sicknesses will come? Do you get my point? Yes. So it's very, very important, this issue of balance. And specifically, we are paying attention to this issue of you are both a son and a servant of God. Let's move on from there. The second thing we want to talk about, we want to look, about, we want to look, at, um, we want to look at the concept of leadership from what we call the leadership movement. How many people know the leadership movement? You know what I'm talking about when I say the leadership movement? You probably do. You just don't know that that's what I'm talking about. Well, at this point, I usually have to do something that we don't like to do when training, which is to mention preachers' names, that sort of thing. But I'm talking about, you know, typically someone like John Maxwell, you know, and his books. What are some of the things they typically say from the leadership movement Yes, sir. Have you heard that one before? The law of the lead. Yes, everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, the leadership movement has been a blessing to the body of Christ. They've helped people that maybe were not very good leaders to become good leaders. They've helped people that were 
good leaders to become great leaders. So I would never knock them or say that they haven't added value. But you see this particular, um, this particular sentence that Pastor Paul just mentioned is something we want to look at as, you know, we said we're going to consider three things that are foundational to being able to answer that question, what is supportive ministry? The second one is this issue of leadership, or specifically this issue of everything rising and falling on leadership. I believed that for many years. I even taught it for many years. I explained it for many years. But you see, just like we're talking about when we're talking about balance, a truth that is taken too far becomes counterproductive. I would qualify everything rises and falls on leadership. I would qualify it by adding the expression most of the time. Not all the time. Um, Revelation, I think it's Revelation 13, verse 9. I hope I'm not wrong. The Bible tells us about one third of the stars falling from heaven. Do you remember that place? Yes, Bible scholars tell us that it actually refers to angelic conflict in which one-third of the angels in heaven rebelled against God. Let me ask you, where did God fail in his leadership that caused as much as one-third of the angels to rebel? Do we understand my question? Yes, if everything rises and falls on leadership, then that's a fair question. Where did God get it wrong? Or maybe that's a little too esoteric for us this morning. Let's try another one. What was the mistake that Jesus made that caused Judas to betray him and Peter to deny him? Can anyone tell us, where did Jesus get it wrong? Remember the Bible tells us in, um, is it Mark 3 or Mark 4, that he prayed all night before he chose the 12. So, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you prayed all night, and then you came up with a list of 12 people, and Judas was one of them. Where did Jesus get it wrong? You see, the truth is this. No matter how great you are as a leader, people will still be people. People will still be people. And they have a right to be. People are just people. If you're a student of economics, you know, they will tell you that this is how people would normally behave if they were being rational. But that's a big if. People are not always rational. They will tell you when supply goes up, you know, um, the price would fall. But there are some things in Nigeria that it looks like the more you have, the price is not subject to any rational explanation. Do we get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, because people are people. Now, of course, if you have a large enough population, 
typically enough people in that population would be rational. But you can never, there are no principles that you can say applies to every individual. Do we get what I'm saying? Sometimes, now, I said, now, I'm not saying this so that, don't, when they ask you, what did you learn in that training? Don't say, ah, they said everything does not rise and fall on leadership. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. That expression, everything rises and falls on leadership, what it means is, if, if an organization is doing well, it is because you have good leadership. And if the organization is not doing well, it is because the leadership is not so good. That's what it means. And many times that is true. In fact, I would say most of the time that is true. But that most of the time is definitely not all of the time. There are some times the leader is doing his best, the leader is doing her best, but... You know, the more he's saying this is the vision for this church, the more there are some people saying, you see this vision, we are not going to achieve it. And they are as serious as the leader is serious. The same way the leader believes that this is what God has sent me to do, that's the same way they believe that somebody has sent me to oppose this vision. And they too, they are pushing strongly. Do we, do we see what I'm saying? Yes. So sometimes, it, it, you, you know, I like to also put it this way. Man is the sole dynamic in ministry. What do I mean by that? If you see a church that is doing well, and let's assume you have the right parameters to be able to judge which church is doing well and which one is not. But if you see a church that is doing well, it's not because... God is a great and mighty God in that church. And the devil is a very weak devil in that church. There is something that the people in that church know and they are doing that is making things to work. Now, I'm not saying this to exalt them above measure. I mean, Philippians 2 says... For it is 2.13, it says, For it is God that walketh in you, both to will and to do of his, own, of his own good pleasure. So even when men are getting it right, we know it is because God is inspiring them to get it right. When we move to a church or a ministry that is not doing well, man is still the sole dynamic in ministry. It's not like in that ministry, God is very weak and the devil is very powerful. It's because there's something that the people in that ministry, they are supposed to know which they have not yet known or which they are not walking in. Do you see what I mean? Yes. So when we are saying everything rises and falls on leadership, let us know that those who are meant to follow, uh, they also have a part to play. I'll say this, and then, um, or maybe I'm supposed to say it later in the course, I'm not sure, but let me just say it once and for all now. You see, because, because I'm a part of Rema Bible Training Center, many times I have people walk up to me, especially 
people who are much younger in ministry, people who are just starting out in ministry, they would come out and say, um, I want to start a work, I want to start a church, I want to do this, I want to do that. You know, they would come and they would want to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with me. And I've seen this many times. Sometimes a young man would come and say, um, I want to start a church. I say, oh, praise God for that. That's um, very good. And then just along the lines of having the conversation, I would ask, have you thought about this? And the man will say, yes, ah, hey, I was, that area of ministry, I was in charge of it when I was in, um, when I was in fellowship of Christian students as a young man. I say, okay, what about this other area? Ah, when I was in university, I was the HOD of that unit. Okay, um, what about this area? When I went to serve, they put me in charge of that in Nigerian Christian Corpus Fellowship. What about this area? Ah, so I'm not really good in that area, but I've heard of a course where you can go for the training. I'm going for that training in two weeks' time. What about this other area? Um, that one, there are some books I'm going to buy that focus on that. That's the way some talk. Where are some others, when you discuss with them, say, um, are you good in this area? Um, I have a good, I think I know it well, but my wife is going to be in charge of that. Okay, what about this other area? Ah, there's this brother who we've even started praying towards the launch of this ministry. He's going to be in charge of that area. Mm. What about this one? Ah, uh, you, you are talking about children's church. We have someone that is fantastic with children's church. She's also starting with us. What about this area? Um, we don't really know that area well, so all of us are going for training. You know, people that talk the second way, I've noticed the ministry always does better than the first one. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. The ministry always does much better let me put it this way. Sometimes you have a very charismatic pastor. He has a big church. Sometimes you have a very charismatic pastor. When I say charismatic now, he can preach well. He inspires confidence. He's not struggling to express himself when he's preaching. Very charismatic, you know, presents whatever he's teaching very well. Sometimes you see them, they have very big churches. Sometimes you'll see them, they have very small churches. And sometimes you have those preachers, the type that they very easily send you to sleep. Some of them, they have very big churches. Some of them, they have very small churches. What am I trying to say? Many times there's no relationship between the charisma of the leader and the size of the work. Many times, how you judge where this ministry is going is the quality of the team. Do you get my point? That charismatic pastor with a very big church, many times he has a great team. And that boring preacher with a very big church, go and check, he has a great team. Well, let's move on from this, um, this issue of leadership and everything um, rising and falling on it. 
The third um, thing we want to talk about is the concept of loneliness in leadership. Loneliness in leadership. You know, one thing that people typically discover about leadership only after they have become leaders is the concept of loneliness. And when we talk about loneliness in leadership, people tend not to understand it because as Africans, the concept of a lonely leader is, it makes no sense to us. You know, the bigger you are as a leader, the bigger your entourage is. Have you realized that? Yes. The bigger you are as a leader, the bigger your entourage is. But most leaders, they come to see that I can't be deceived by this entourage. I can't. Because when the chips are down, the people that you can really share the burdens of leadership with are not many. Most times. Most people are ready to serve. Most people are ready to be committed to a certain extent. Anything that goes beyond that extent, count me out. Let's use an illustration here. You know that in many churches, when you see the way when you see the way people behave in the church, you may come to the conclusion that it's a sin for the pastor to carry the, their Bible by themselves. Have you ever noticed that? Yes. So, pastor is just arriving in church, minding his business, maybe he's praying in tongues under his breath, carries his Bible from the car. There will be one young man that will see him from afar off and rush to snatch the Bible. You know, someone still did it to me this morning. They just quickly collected. I've learned, don't struggle with them. Just let it go. And believe God that they will give it back to you. <laughs> so I've, I've learned that one. It was, it was a bit difficult for me to learn, but I know it now. But you see, <laughs> in some churches, it's even like a competition. You know? you know? They know the time pastor is going to arrive, so they are using style too because... The, there's this young man that there are like three of them that are always struggling to be the one to carry the Bible for him. Now, look at this. Suppose we're to come to church one Sunday and we don't see Pastor Paul in this church. And then Pastor Shade collects the mic and preaches. Ah, well, I didn't know Pastor was not going to be in church. Maybe he had an invitation to go and preach somewhere else. And then just as we are rounding up, Pastor Shadi says, well, let me just tell, give you an update about Pastor Paul. Um, in the middle of the night, he received a vision. And God told him to go and continue his ministry in Sambisa Forest. Now, he has gone. We are going to look for how we can be supporting him. Please be mindful of him in your prayers. Question. Those boys that are always struggling to carry his Bible, how many of them will say, eh, Pastor Shade, give me transport money. I want to go and continue helping Pastor in Sambisa Forest. 
Do we understand the question? Yes. You see, there are situations as a leader where you think you have so many followers. Then you realize that sometimes some of those followers are just with you because it's convenient. Are just with you because, well, you know, for some people, if Pastor Shade truly came and said, oh, he's now in Sambisa Forest, they may go home feeling sad. Ah, Pastor Paul, and he was a good man, oh. Notice was. You know, they will get home and say, ah, what's wrong with you? Ah, it's my former pastor. My, my former pastor. You see, just because he has moved to Zambisa Forest now, he's no longer your pastor. He's now former pastor. That's the way people are quick to move on. Whenever it looks like, ah, what's happening in this man's life? Ah, okay. You'll be surprised. Meanwhile, just a week ago, it looked like those same people were telling you the same way Peter was telling Jesus. You know, Peter looked at all the other disciples and said, <laughs> me, I never trusted all these ones. So. And I'm telling you now, you can't trust them. But you see me, I'm ready to die with you. That's what Peter said. And Jesus said, hmm, are you sure about this thing? You see, the concept of loneliness in leadership, you, you see it all over the scriptures. Moses was lonely. Elijah was lonely. Now, those ones, is really because they tended to do everything by themselves. They tended to be the sort of people that didn't delegate and all that, you know. So, but it's still true that they were lonely. Look at the ministry of Jesus. In John 6, Jesus had multitudes following him, you know. Imagine the Bible saying that, Imagine the Bible saying that Jesus fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, sorry. That for, you know, for, it's not like it was only men that were following him. There were women and children following him, but they weren't, nobody bothered to count the women. They just counted the men. Now, if you have a crowd of 5,000 men, what do you estimate the total crowd will be by the time you add the women and children? It could be as much as 20,000, definitely not less than 12. Imagine that number of people following Jesus. And then a time came, Jesus said, ah, if you are going to be my disciples, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. And then by the time he looked back, there were only 12 people still following him. And he said, are you going to go also? Peter said, where are we going again? You have the words of eternal life. You know, Jesus could have been deceived. Think, ah, even if this crowd of 20,000, if they were not, if they are not faithful, if, they are, if I can rely on them, at least I can rely on these 12. But at the end of the day, he couldn't rely even on the 12. In the garden of Gethsemane, he took three of them for prayer meeting. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Bible said he sweated as it were great drops of blood. Imagine you are going through a crisis in your life. You know, there's a way people will come and say, oh, we are praying for you, we are praying for you. And sometimes I think it's because I can't see, I don't know your sleep pattern. That's why you are deceiving me like this. 
Jesus carried this food to the garden of Gethsemane. He came back to meet them sleeping. He said, what? Could you not watch with me even for one hour? Those were the kind of followers that Jesus had. So that's what we mean by loneliness and leadership. When he had that burden of prayer, there was nobody he could roll it on. He couldn't depend on them. Or look at Paul. Acts 19. That's a verse we quote so much. Acts 19 and verse 20. So mightily grew the word and it prevailed. Why did the word, why was the word described as growing mightily and prevailing? Because Paul went to Ephesus and he had the school hall of one Tyrannus where he preached daily for the space of two years. Imagine a preacher like Paul preaching for two years. And the Bible says that all those that were in Asia Minor, they heard the word of God. Why? Because Paul was preaching in that school hall. So Paul would preach, people would hear him, they would go and call their friends until that whole area, they had all heard the word of God. Imagine that. Imagine the crowds that must have been there to listen to him. Paul came to the end of his life and ministry, 2 Timothy 4. Said, these know that all they that be in Asia have abandoned me. That was Paul. I like to encourage pastors by saying, if they did it to Jesus and they did it to Paul, they would do it to you too. It happens. Paul had to write to Timothy and he told him, do thy diligence to come to me quickly. In fact, for Timothy to know how grave the situation is, he said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed to Thessalonica. Let me point out something to you. (laughs) It's not the time that Demas departed that Demas started loving the world. I hope you know that. Yes. There is nothing about leaving Paul that causes a man to begin to love the world. It is the love that Demas had had for the world. Which love was still being catered to when Paul's ministry was doing well. But now that Paul is in prison... You know, sometimes in ministry, people will come and meet you and say, ah, sir, I've come to submit to you, sir. It's because that ministry is doing well. It's because there's something they see in that ministry that they want to see in their own. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's crowd. Sometimes it's clout. Ah, everywhere, people are just inviting him. So you see some younger boys, they'll come and say, ah, I've come to, God said I should come and serve with you. And then you will know the true measure of their devotion when there is a problem in that ministry. With Paul, what was the problem? He had been arrested and thrown in jail. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. That's Paul of Tarsus. That's the man who wrote half the books in the New Testament. Suffered loneliness and leadership. 
But you see, where Jesus had no one he could rely on, at least Paul could send for Timothy. You know, if you see what he wrote to the Philippians, that is such a wonderful endorsement of that young man, Timothy. He told the Philippians, you know the proof of him that as a son with a father, he has fully served with me in the gospel. That was Paul's testimony. Of, he said, I trust to send to you Timothy shortly that he may know your state. You know, he told, <laughs> Paul told, Paul told the Philippians, he said, all men care about their own things and not the things of Jesus Christ. The ministries where I've seen some of the most selfish people, I have had the privilege of coming across. And Paul said it too. He said they care about their own things and not the things that are of Jesus Christ. But he said, Timothy is different. You know, the purpose of this training is for us to have those who are different, those who are not like Demas, those who are not like Peter and Judas were, but those who will be like Timothy. Those that Pastor Paul and Pastor Shade will be able to say, well, I may not be able to rely on everybody, but at least I know I can rely on this one, this one, this one, maybe just a few. But really, there's nothing that stops all of us from being the kind of reliable people that the leaders in this church can depend on. There's nothing that stops us from being our best at serving in this church. Let me say something and then we'll take the break. You know, sometimes you have people who come to church with the attitude, ah, I didn't come to this church to join workers. I just came to serve my God. Have you heard that expression before? Yes. I know people say, oh, what church do you attend? They'll mention the name of the church. Then you ask them, okay, where do you serve? Which area? Which unit? Which department in the church? I didn't, me, I don't join workers. Oh. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think, I don't believe in it. I'm not condemning those that do it, oh, but me, I don't, I'm just there to serve my God, that's all. And they are very serious, they are saying it with a straight face. You see, the truth is this. <sighs> there are some things that we talk about with respect to God that the only way in which it can be meaningful is if you can relate it to people. A man cannot say, I love God without loving people. A man cannot say, I give to God without giving to people. I like to ask this question. Can you bring out a thousand naira note and say, God, this is an offering to you. Take it. It doesn't happen that way. You know, some people wish, ah, I wish that's the way to give to God. Because, you know, the money will always stay in your hand. God will not reach out if you look and you don't see the money again. It's not God that took it. 
if you any money you say you give to God, let me show, let me promise you, at the end of the day, is human beings that will spend it. How do we give to God? We give to God by giving to people. You can give to the church, you can give to your pastor, you can give to your parents, you can support your family, you can give to the poor. These are all different things the Bible speaks about. But at the end of the day, we give to God by giving to people for God's sake. In the same way, the only way to serve God is by serving people. Anything you are doing that is not an act of service to people, ultimately, you are not serving God. Do we see my point? Yes. What can I do that I will do directly for God and say it's an act of service? Everything I do along the lines of serving God must benefit humanity at the end of the day. Let's take a break. Do we, is it a five-minute break or a ten-minute break? <laughs> I was asking Pastor Paul, actually. <laughs> But he has many helpers in this church. Okay, let's do a five-minute break. Please, let's um, all gather together once it's five minutes. It will help us to start again and be very fast. Thank you.
Hallelujah. 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 Wow. Okay. Um, for this next section, it will have been good to have the projector on and be able to project scriptures, but if we can't do that, I think we can... Okay. But in the absence of that, we can still use our Bibles. Hallelujah. Amen. So, um, you would remember in the first session, we introduced our topic, Biblical Perspective of Supportive Ministries, of Supportive Ministry, and um, we said we're going to start by answering the question, what is the supportive ministry? But before that, we will look at three, um, three things by way of a foundation. Remember for the first one, we said... Um, um, we said there are two sides to our relationship with God and that we need to be balanced. When we are not balanced, we will most likely stretch things that are true, that are supposed to be for our benefit. We'll take them too far and they will now be counterproductive. Then we looked at the expression, everything rises and falls on leadership. We said it is mostly true. It is true most of the time, but there are a few times when some followers just decide to um, not to cooperate, you know. And then we also spoke about the concept of loneliness in leadership. We said many leaders are lonely because they know that there is an extent to which they can depend on those following them. It's just a, it's just a truism in life. People tend to you know, they even say it's nothing succeeds like success. So as long as you are doing well, as long as you don't exceed some parameters, you have people who will stick with you. But there are some times when things don't go well and then you realize that um, those people you thought you could depend on, that you can't depend on them anymore. So um, let's move on now to consider that question, what is the supportive ministry? Um, the first answer that we might give to that is that the supportive ministry is everything that is not um, everything that is not pulpit ministry. That's one answer. Everything that is not pulpit ministry. What is pulpit ministry? Very simple definition. I don't think you may not find it in the dictionary like that, but we can describe pulpit ministry as ministry that you do from behind a pulpit. So um, another way of putting it is anything that is not fivefold ministry. 
Um, what do we mean by fivefold ministry? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So those are fivefold ministry gifts. And we could describe um, supportive ministry as everything that is not fivefold um, ministry gifts. So we have people in the church who help those that are called to the fivefold ministry gifts, and then we call them supportive ministers. But, you know, if you look at that description, that it is everything that is not fivefold ministry gifts, there's something that is just a little wrong with it, just a little. And I'll explain it this way. Um, in a church, you may have a pastor who is the lead pastor, senior pastor. Different people use different titles for them, but we all know what we mean, like, the main pastor, the, some will say the real pastor, <laughs> like the others are unreal, yes, but you know, you have the pastor, now you could, the assumption typically is that the pastor is called to fivefold ministry, so um, in Nigeria, we tend to call everybody who is in charge of a church, we call all of them pastor, but some are some are called to do something different, but they are also pastor in a church. Now, the thing is this. If you have the lead pastor, you could have an associate pastor, an assistant pastor, who is also called to the fivefold ministry gifts, just that they are not a lead pastor. They are assisting someone, or they are an associate pastor. You know, those ones are still supportive ministers, do you get my point? Just because I'm called to the fivefold ministry gifts does not mean that I am not a supportive minister. In fact, properly understood, an assistant pastor, an associate pastor is actually helping the lead pastor in his ministry. I like to say this to assistant pastors, associate pastors, that don't think, oh, we are pastoring this church together. I don't believe that's the biblical sense. I th what, the Bible, what I believe the Bible teaches about that is, I am helping my pastor to pastor the congregation. Do we, do we get what I'm saying? Yes, because I've met young men that have this agenda of, oh, pastor is not allowing me to express what God has put in my life in this church. Well, you are supposed to help pastor to express what God has put in his. Do, do we get what I mean? You are not supposed to come with an agenda. Okay, pastor, let's share it. You will take most of the messages. I will take like 20%. But you see, my 20%, let it be mine truly. That's not the idea. You are here to help him. I'm not sure I said that well, but let's, um, let's move on. But that reminds me of something I should have said in the previous session. Sometimes in this course, people feel, ah, ah. <laughs> they just brought that guy to come and tell us how bad we are and how good pastor is. Are you feeling like that already? Okay, not yet. <laughs> now, um, you see, this course sounds that way because it is a course really for supportive ministers. 
if you come to Rema Bible Training Center, we have courses that are for um, pastors, for those who are in fivefold ministry offices. Do we get what I mean? Yes, we have courses like um, spiritual leadership. You know, that one, the same, we are, the same way we are flogging the supportive ministers in this course and trying to help them to be better, in that one, we are addressing issues, mistakes, things that pastors don't always get wrong. So if we finish this course and we never address things that pastors don't get right, don't think, oh, they are biased. It's because you are attending the course on supportive ministry. If you want to hear them come down hard on pastors, Try attending the one on spiritual leadership. Do we get what I mean? There they will, they will deconstruct pastors for you. And you say, ah, see how they just pointed out all of my pastor's mistakes. But you see, in this course, this one is about supportive ministry. So that's all we are. So we are not painting it like, oh, um, the leaders, the pastors, they never get anything wrong. It's always about the followers. That is just that. You know, each course is addressing a different audience. So let's go back to what we're talking about. We're saying that as an assistant pastor and associate pastor, you are still a supportive minister. You know, you are still a supportive minister. But the truth is that even the lead pastor, the senior pastor, the real pastor, in a sense, he's also a supportive minister. You know, as, a, as the lead pastor, if I don't have any human being that I'm reporting to in that sense, I am pastoring the church on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in that sense, we are all supportive ministers because there is always someone you are supposed to be helping. Even if for you, the only person you are now helping, you've gone so high, the only person you are now helping is Jesus Christ, you are still pastoring the church on behalf of Jesus Christ. So in that sense, all of us really are supportive ministers. Let's look at something the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. Verse 28 says, And God hath set some in the church, First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that um, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Um, you see, this, these two verses are very key to, to our classes this week and next week. 27 says, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, verse 28 says, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings. Um, you see, I like the way verse 28 starts. It says, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles. You know, the office of apostle is one that has always intrigued me personally. You know? And you can see in Nigeria that a lot of people, we have a lot of people who are using that title now, apostles. Such a nice title. 
You know, I, I can't even remember how Pastor Paul introduced me, but suppose this morning when we came, suppose I had been introduced as Apostle Jide Lawal. Eh? Pastor Paul, I'm trying to, against next time. Or if, <laughs> now, I'm not saying you have to if you want to. I'm just saying that uh -huh, it's not bad. But just, I'll, just to use as an example, suppose I had been introduced as Apostle Jide Lawa. Talk true, there is a way you would have had more respect for me. <laughs> At least better than if I had come and said, oh, um, it's our privilege to listen to Brother Jide Lawa. Say, ah, and they said we'll be here till one, listening to an ordinary brother. Now, wow. In fact, some people will come to meet Pastor Shadia and say, ah, I don't know if you can help us tell Pastor Paul. We know where you can get mighty men of God. This one that is brother that we are managing in this church. <laughs> but if they had said apostle, you know, during the break, some people will come to come and meet me and say, ah, well done, sir. Please, I want to ask a question. You know you, are, you know you are important when people take permission before asking you questions. <laughs> you, that's when you know you are very important. Say, ah, sorry, sir. Um, please, I want to ask a question. You know? And say, please, how, do you, how can somebody become an apostle? You know, if you're an apostle, you're expected to know how. How you got there, you know? So suppose the person comes, bows very low and says, how do people become, this apostle thing, I'm interested. Then I say, apostle, ah, no, I just, me, I'm just using the title because I like it. <laughs> what will happen to that respect that you had for me? It will come down again. And you're even telling me to my face. <laughs> you see, the truth is this. When we hear that someone is an apostle, you know, at the least we expect is that you should at least be able to say, ah, God told me that he is calling me to be an apostle. You get my point? If Paul wrote it, Paul called himself, Paul, an apostle, not of men. Now, this thing is not just that people started calling me by that title. I'm really an apostle sent of God. And you see, in this portion of the scripture too, he clarifies it. He said, and God hath set some in the church. Who set some in the church? And who did he set in the church? The Bible says, first, apostles. Secondly, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles. Imagine we have somebody walk a miracle in the church. You saw it with your own two eyes. That this is... It was miraculously, maybe someone that came in on crutches, you know, maybe an amputee just has the amputated leg or arm grow out. You know, in your mind you'll say, man, this is a man of God. They've been talking about real men of God, but I saw one today. Now imagine after that miracle, the person that did it stands up and says, well, what you just saw is not of God. As in the person that works the miracle himself says, don't think it's the power of God that did this. So 
you know, immediately, people will know. What do I mean by people will know? We are experts at knowing. Ah, from when Pastor Paul introduced him, I knew that he's a false prophet. And most of the time, when we know, we always know after the fact. We never say so before. It's always, I just, my spirit just told me that it's not a, why? Because if you are working miracles, we expect that that ability, that enablement, that gifting is of God. The same thing with gifts of healings. Somebody says, ah, well, that guy, he just laid hands on him and he was healed. We expect that person will say, ah, is God who? Do we, do we get what I'm saying? Now, look at that verse again. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings. What's the next word? Helps. For some reason, we always believe that it is God that set apostles in the church. But we never believe that it is God that set helps in the church. You see, that word there, helps, actually is referring to the ministry of helps. In Nigeria, the most common expression for that ministry is church workers or church volunteers. It's the same thing as supportive ministry. Actually, the expression supportive ministry is not found in Bible. Church workers, church volunteers is not found in Bible. The one that we actually see in Bible is helps. But they all mean the same thing. And the Bible is telling us that the same God who set apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, gifts of healings in the church is the same people that set helps in the church. For too long, we have looked down on that ministry. You would even see people say, oh, what are you doing in your church now? I'm just an ordinary worker. I'm just an ordinary worker. I tell people, if you would not say, I'm just an ordinary apostle, or I'm just that, you see, if God set helps in the church, then that ministry is not an ordinary ministry. If it is true that God had set in the church, the helps ministry, from God's perspective, is just as important as any other ministry. In fact, like I said before, most churches that don't do well, it's because of the helps ministry. Most churches. Now, some churches don't do well because of bad leadership. But most churches that are not doing well, go and look at the team behind that pastor. If God had set some in the church and has set some in the ministry of helps and they are not functioning well, we will always have problems. There is no way to avoid it. The ministry of helps is one of the most important in the body of Christ. Think about it. The ministry of helps is the ministry that has the highest number of members in the body. Have you ever thought about that? If they say, let us see all the people that are pastors 
and assistant pastors in the body of Christ, Pastor Adeboe can host us at Redemption Camp. Have you ever thought about it? If they say every pastor in Nigeria, come with your assistant pastors, they can put all of them in Redemption Camp. But if they say everybody who is in supportive ministry, come to Redemption no, no venue can take us. There is no stadium that can take us. There is no place in Nigeria where you can conveniently assemble everybody in the Ministry of Helps. We are the ones that have the greatest, we are greatest in numbers. And we are the only truly indispensable ministry in the body of Christ. Think about it. This training now, can we, can we still hold it? Assuming Pastor Paul couldn't make it, can the training go on? Yes. Assuming Pastor Shade couldn't come, can we go on with the training? Assuming supportive ministry didn't show up today, can we go on with this training? No. No, we can't. Because for the training to happen, for the training to happen, some people will need to come in and just arrange these chairs. See, if there was no if there was no ministry of helps, no supportive ministry, Pastor Paul would have to wake up very early, show up here, arrange the seats by himself, put on the generator, fuel it, um, go and man the media console. Thank God we are not using choir in this meeting. Assuming it were Sunday service, he will need to lead the singing by himself. He will need to bring in children's church by himself. He would need to play the keyboard, the drums, the conga, everything by himself. He would need to be the one preaching and interpreting at the same time in the Yoruba service. You know? He would be the one to take the offering while leading, while leading a chorus. He would take the offering, count the money. See, Supportive ministry is the truly indispensable ministry in the body of Christ. We can't function without, yet we look down on it so much. But like I said, it's the reason why many churches that are struggling are not doing so well. Because there is nothing in there for the supportive ministry. Sometimes you see some churches where the leaders are always traveling for one training or the other. You know? I saw one flyer recently. Pastors from Nigeria were going to Dubai for a refresher course. Now, you know, I'm not the type that usually judges. If I were the type, I would say, hmm, is it that you can't do this meeting in Lagos? But you know, I'm not the type that usually judges, so I won't say it. But you see, where I was going to is this. Sometimes those churches where the pastor is always going for one training or the other, they don't train the workers in that church. And they want the place. You know, one of the things I noticed about this church which I liked was that attention is being paid to training the workforce. Attention is being paid to that. I can testify to that personally. So it's good. But more churches need to do this because many churches that are not doing well, that is where the problem is. 
Let's go to verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 12. In verse 29, Paul starts to ask some questions. He says, are all apostles? What's the answer to that? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Have all, do all work miracles? Have all the gifts of healings? Now, let's know the real Bible students. What is he supposed to ask next? How do you know that? Because essentially in verse 29, he was repeating, he was asking those questions and repeating the offices in the same order in which he has, um, he had mentioned them in verse 28. Verse 28, he says, and God had set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, um, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps. In verse 29, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, have all, do all work miracles, have all the gifts of healings. But he does not ask if all are helpers. Why is that? Because the answer to all those questions is no, no, no. If he had asked, are all helpers, the answer would need to be yes. All are helpers. I tell people, no matter what ministry you have been called to in the body of Christ, the first ministry we all occupy immediately we get born again is the ministry of helps. What do people that are in the ministry of helps do? I like this answer. Anything that will help. You know, some people in the church seem to think that, they seem to think they are here to do the opposite. Sometimes you see people, it's like they are here to make things more difficult. But the true function of the ministry of helps is to do anything that will help. It may be something that is a really big deal like bringing in a whole lot of money to this church, that would help. It could be something insignificant, like sharing sweets while we are seated here. Whether it's very, very big, very, very, anything that would help is important to the body of Christ. Anything that helps to move us forward Anything that adds value, anything that makes the job of the minister in this church, that makes it easier, is helps. Anything that pushes the leadership, the church, closer to achieving the vision that God has given this church, is helps. You see... We are the ones that look down on the helps ministry. God doesn't look down on it. In fact, from God's perspective, God wants this church to have the best helps ministry in the world. Because it's extremely crucial. It's extremely crucial. We, if we don't have a good team behind the pastor, we may never achieve the purpose for which this church was set up. 
we may never get there. This church can do well without having an apostle in the church. It can do well without having a prophet. But it cannot do well without helps. It can't. We've painted a picture in which there, are, there is nobody in the health ministry, and we saw how ridiculous it was. But many times, we don't also appreciate that. Even having people who say, I'm a worker in this church, I'm a helper, it still would not be ideal if they don't, you know, go the extra mile. Sometimes you can be there as though you were not there. Sometimes you can be there and you are not adding all the value that you could add. Sometimes you can be there and the value you are adding is marginal. Because in the body of Christ, we just tend not to... We, I mean, what we see today, I'm not saying it is that way in this church, but I'm just talking about what I've seen in some ministries... We tend to, whenever something is not branded with our name, sometimes we tend not to put in all the efforts that we could have put in. After all, it is not my own church. I have a friend, we're in school together, we pastor together on campus. Now he's the pastor of a branch of a church. The church is... Somewhere in Satellite Town, they have a lucky branch. And he's doing quite well in that lucky branch. And when they asked him, how are things going? How's your church? He said, oh, everything is, everything is fine, you know. He said, it's just that people can be very discouraging. I said, what do you mean? He said, sometimes when people meet him, they say, oh, how's the church doing? As in people that know he's now a full-time pastor. He said, how's the church doing? He says, fine, excellent. They say, ah, don't stay too long, Dale. You know, you have to start your own. That's the way Nigerians talk to him all the time. So he said a time came when he started to feel like if I don't start my own, I'm a failure. Do you get, do you get my point? That's the way we think many times in Nigeria. And it's not just in church. Sometimes at work, after all, it's not my own company. If I've seen it before, where a young man is very diligent, say, uh, very soon they will sack him now. When is not your father's company? Why are you being so... That's the way we think and we talk. But you see, this is God's work. The same way God had sent Pastor Paul to pastor this church is the same way God has sent you to help him. Don't let him be more of a success in his ministry than you are in your own. Don't let him do better at being a pastor than you do at supporting him. Like I've said before, the churches that do, that do so well are those churches where the pastor can be a good pastor, fine, but the team is a very good team. Have you ever noticed it? Let's take an example from football. Suppose you have a football team and then they have a very good striker. And the striker, 
any match he plays, he must score at least three goals. Will that team always win? Sorry? Why not? You see, if you have a team where they have a star striker that's forgetting any match, he always scores three goals. All you need is to have defenders and goalkeepers that every match, they always concede four goals. That's all you need to make sure that team is a failure. So no matter how good the leadership is, if the team behind him is not so good, he will look very ordinary. He will look like he doesn't know what he's doing. There have been people who are truly gifted of God, who are really sent of God. That after a while, people say, are you sure it's God that sent this pastor? Not because of any issues or challenges he has personally, but because of the kind of team that he has. Let's look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We'll look at a few verses there as we round off, round up this session. Acts chapter 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, Oh, thank you, sirs. And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Hallelujah. You know, every time I read this verse, I always feel constrained to point out the significance of a particular word in this verse. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, Notice the word multiplied. It's God's will for us to multiply. You know, there's a difference between addition and multiplication. If you look, if you look at Acts 2, I believe, verse 47, the Bible says, and the Lord added to the church daily, added, added to the church daily, such as we're being saved. So there's a difference. If you want to, you know, when a church is not very big, Addition looks a lot like multiplication. What's two plus two? What's two times two? So at that point, it doesn't matter whether you are adding or multiplying, you will get the same result. But what's nine plus nine? And what's nine times nine? At that point, you'll notice that what I just told you now is a secret between small churches and big churches. Small churches grow by adding. Big churches grow by multiplying. Setting up a church in a way that promotes multiplication is much harder than addition. So most people tend to go for addition. But in the long run, when you look back at it, you tend to wish you had gone for multiplication. Now, there's nothing wrong with a church being small. Nothing wrong at all. But... How would I say it now? With every church, you're always going to have problems. 
problems come with church. You know, one of the ways for us to solve every single problem we have in this church is for Pastor Paul to say, okay, from today, everybody go home. We are not doing church again. You find that all the problems are solved because people will carry their problems away. We have problems in this church because we have people in this church. Once we don't have people again, these chairs, all this equipment, they won't give us problems. It's the people that are giving us problems. And the, the problem they were having in Acts 6.1, in Nigeria, we would call it tribalism. It was an issue that had to do with ethnicity. You know, there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. What were they doing? Every single day, they were sharing food to widows. And then those widows who were of the Hellenist Jews, Jews who had um, come back from Greece, they were complaining that you're not sharing, you know, um, people from this part of the country are getting more than people from that other part of the country. You know, I like to tell pastors again, you cannot have a truly unique problem in your church. Any problem you care to mention,